Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Hello and welcome to Real Living. This is Lavinia Spirito with Marilyn Nemechek. We're going to continue show number two on Eucharistic revival. And we are kind of unpacking a little bit what it means, what the Eucharist itself is and what it means to us. And the author of this article that I found on the Catholic World Report is actually a retired professor from Notre Dame who is offering five thoughts, five main topics on the topic of Eucharistic revival. Now, the title is Eucharistic Revival and the Passions. If anyone wants to track this this article down, it's so good, so rich. It is. Um, that I would highly recommend it. So in, in our prior show, Mary Lou, you and I kind of uh, made a point that we live in an era in which people don't know what the Eucharist is. And moreover, they don't care. Their, their world is other things, right? that they consider more important. They live the horizontal dimension a whole lot more. And unfortunately, we have this desire, well, unfortunately, fortunately, we have this desire for spiritual growth, but a lot of people seek spiritual growth in avenues that are not designed for spiritual growth. I mean, they're not designed for their good. They're not designed for their flourishing. Unfortunately, we live in a society in which the Christian option is just not considered. And that's, I think, one of the main roots was for even Catholics themselves, as according to recent surveys, uh, do not understand what the Eucharist is and do not understand that it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Lord, that it is the Lord himself, that it is the Eucharist, uh, it is a miracle. You know, it's hard to understand, even you and I, who are members of the choir, right? Right. Well, and, and you know, being baptized, you're equipped, but people don't understand you know, be, what being baptized is and how they are equipped and what they're to do with it. Um, they're just kind of living in this void. You know, they're showing up at Mass and doing, you know, checking off the boxes, but they just, I hate, they just don't get it. If they show up at Mass. Yes, yes. Since COVID, it's it's been a challenge. Well, no, also, even the people who didn't show up before COVID, I mean, we well, have people who check the Catholic box. They watched it on, on, online, right. you know, YouTube it instead of being there, which nowadays you can be there. And it's not the same thing. thing. Right. Exactly. You know, they need to show up. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about the five thoughts offered by the author of this article. And the first one was Thanksgiving, what it means. And we right. kind of talked about that. We talked about how in order to really offer proper Thanksgiving and to grow in spiritual 
uh, understanding, we need to think less of ourselves, we need to be humble, and we need to let go of the vice of self-love, right? Self-centeredness. Right. And embrace the virtue of humility. Afterwards that, we talked to the second element, which is koinonia, or fellowship, which is the community of the believers. You know, what, how, what does that look like? <coughs> that liturgical praise of God is not disconnected from love of neighbor. If anything, in our experience, love of neighbor enhances liturgical praise. Because when you are with a group of people who really love the Lord, who really understand the Eucharist, who really want to offer a sacrifice of praise, who really want to praise the Lord and give thanks, the whole experience is enhanced, right? Your understanding right. of what you're doing is even, I think, enhanced, right? In this article, he, he mentions St. Augustine calling the church totus Christos. It's, it's the whole body of the church. We're all a part of that. And we don't think of ourselves as, as that. Is being mm -hmm. united as a, you know, one body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and to love our neighbor is to do the opposite of what Satan would do, you know, as he points out here. He says, um, a story, the story uh, that reveals the results of Satan's envy is a quotation from the Gospel of John. I will tell you what the devil, devil replied when summoned to declare by the mouth of a possessed person who he was, I am. He said with a terrible cry, I am the creature who does not love. And that does not only, in only account he gave of himself. I do not love. That's actually not, obviously, from, from the gospel. But it's a quotation from some, um, from, some, from some writers. So Christians are commanded to grow into creatures who do love with the same heart and soul as their Lord. So the first two elements are thanksgiving and fellowship. What's the third one? Memorial. Memorial, right? And what is memorial? Well, the memorial remembers what happened in the Passion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what, that's when Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross and paid our debt. You know, that is what the Mass is a representation of mm -hmm. that very thing. Mm -hmm. Every time we go to Mass, we are to remember that event mm -hmm. that happened. Um, that was a, that was what got us out of jail. Mm -hmm. And it's something that, um, is made present each time we go to mass and everything, everything is directed towards that, that, that plan of salvation, um, that began in scriptures from the very beginning, mm -hmm. the whole story of it. And the Greek word is anamnesis, which points to the Greek, to the Hebrew understanding of memorial sacrifice. Mm -hmm. As moderns, we think of a memorial and we think about commemorating something that happened in the past. But really, it is a representation mm -hmm. before God um, of the passion and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How does this make sense? Well, everything, all time before the Lord is now because God is perfect spirit. And so he does not inhabit the space-time continuum and he is not limited by time. He's not limited by chronological time the way we are. So we think about things that happened 2,000 years ago, and we think about things that will happen in 10 years, right? Because right. we are firmly anchored within time because we inhabit space, right? But God, who is pure spirit, does not inhabit time, does not inhabit space, and is, uh, therefore, sees every moment of history 
from the beginning to the end is now. So when the sacrifice is presented on the altar, it's in a certain sense saying representing Jesus' sacrifice. And I love one of the elements that this guy shows uh, when he remind he kind of draws the um, yeah at Mount Sinai Moses tells God, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your very self that you would take care of them, right? right? So in a certain sense, it's also reminding God, hey, God, you promised, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a very rudimentary way. But I love that. It's very human, right? You promised. Moses remembered, reminded God the promise that he had made to make Abraham's descendants as numerous as the stars to give them this land and to bring the Messiah, which in Moses's current condition were not exactly obvious that they were going to happen, right? Right. Because he's got the whole mob of the Israelites after him and in the desert and they're going through all these trials and everybody's disapproving him and people are complaining and grumbling and it's not exactly... And, and on top of that, they they're just just came out of the great apostasy at the... Uh, with the golden calf, right? Right. And yet Moses keeps, you know, he wants to remind God of his promises. And in a certain sense, that is what we're doing uh, when we celebrate the Eucharist. We're representing, we're reminding God, not that he needs any reminders, but maybe we do. Well, and it says a past made present by its effects. The Mm -hmm. effects, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ is present in the host, Mm -hmm. period. Exactly. So um, God is reminded of the unfilled, unfulfilled climax of the work of salvation. Meaning what? We all anticipate the second coming, right? We uh, right. anticipate the final judgment, the coming of Jesus in glory. And so what should we overcome in terms of vices in order to understand better what um, this representation or memorial or anamnesis is? Again, self-will, self-centeredness. It's all about us. It's not all about us, you know. The sinner designs a life of self-reliance to live independently of God and spends his whole life constructing memorials to his own accomplishments. So we've all been to, what, uh, banquets in which we celebrate somebody, we give them an award, or we watch them on television, they give awards for best movies and best actors and the best, uh, you know, play basketball players and, you know, I don't know, financial people, whatever. You know, I mean, we do have that, the, the human person... The human nature is to commemorate through ritual important events. But this is the event. This is the cardinal event of all history, right? The passion and the resurrection. And so having to um, to be able to appreciate it more is to kind of detach ourselves from our own importance, from our own need to boast about things. You know, I think in the culture today, um, he mentions... Um, that people would rather construct their own Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, Babel was, they, they were building that in order to be better than God, to reach that height, to be equal or take over. And that's is, what our culture, unfortunately, is. Yeah. Through is technology. We so think we, we have can do to, it. Yeah. You know, and you have to be cognizant of that because... That that is that road leads to destruction. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, there was one more sentence. Um, 
instead of drawing life from God's covenants, the sinner would rather construct his own tower of battle, like you said. Reliance on God means an uncomfortable loss of independence. And reliance means waiting for another to come through on his promises. Promises. On his promises. Mm -hmm. And reliance means being vulnerable in the meantime. So I would say that a lot of sin really originates in lack of trust, lack of trust of God. Trust and surrender, trust and surrender. Yeah, I think anxiety, panic, um, fear, all the things that beset the modern soul stem yeah. from an utter lack of trust and reliance in God. So he's saying what? Be patient with God's labors on your behalf. Do not set conditions on his gifts. So we memorialize a crucified king. So no wonder the gospel is a stumbling block to the powerful and foolishness to the wise. The next element is sacrifice, which of course is very important, right? I mean, you know, it's kind of what we describe the mass as, the holy sacrifice of the mass. There's one sacrifice once and for all. Right. But it is represented daily, hourly across the universal church. That doesn't mean he's being re-sacrificed every time. No. Which I think is important. The victim is one and the same. The same now offers through the ministry of priests who then offered himself on the cross. And that is a quotation from the Council of Trent. And so this sacrifice is truly propitiatory. Augustine defines sacrifice as every action done so as to cling to God in a communion of holiness and thus achieve blessedness. That's a catechism quote from 2099. So the guy writing the article says, it seems to me there are therefore... Four altars for liturgy, the wood altar of Calvary, the cross, the stone altar of the church, the spiritual altar of our hearts, and the celestial altar in heaven. That's a great visual. Christ is at work on all of them. The cross is connected to all of them. The Paschal mystery is present in each of them. Even though one is bloody, one is sacramental, one is interior, and one is above. Yeah. Why so many? Because Jesus could not just let the Paschal mystery rest. I love that, right? Yeah. So what vice would we have to outgrow in order to find this mystery bigger, in order to find that Aslan is bigger? Well, he suggests vainglory, which is basically, again, thinking about yourself a lot, right? Right. Boasting about yourself. Pride. Pride. Um, just thinking that it's all about you. Yeah. Yeah. The sacraments plus virtues are a rehabilitation project of the cosmic priesthood because we were created to be priests. But it, during the fall, we forfeited, we forfeited our liturgical career. So the bridge by which we are to pass into this transfigured world is, as Catherine of Siena said, of course, the cross. The cross, yeah. And we are commanded to lie down upon it. Aquinas, Thomas says... Religion is an act of justice, which I always thought was interesting because justice is giving someone his due. And God is due our worship and sacrifice is giving God what is rightfully his. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yep. So, um, again, I think humility has a lot to do with this, right? Um, and uh, Thomas's understanding of devotion is a readiness of the will in undertaking and performing everything that belongs to the service of God. You Just know, if we ready. had eyes to see who all was present at every Mass, mm -hmm. 
We have the communion of saints. We have the angels. We have the souls in purgatory. Mm -hmm. The place is Mm jam-packed. The angels are singing. I mean, you know, if if we just had an inkling of of the really praise and and worship, Mm -hmm. that is at every single Mass. Mm -hmm. I know, right? Yep. But I think that is revealed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so, you know, I think the catch-all prayer would be, come Holy Spirit, right? Right. Uh, and final element is mystery, mysterion, the mystical body. So, yeah, I mean, I think we can, We don't need a degree in theology to, under, to think that all this is a mystery because it's hard to wrap our minds around um, about what the Eucharist is, right? Right. Liturgical renewal was handily summed up in the phrase, full, active, and conscious participation. This Eucharistic revival will also seek full, active, and conscious participation in the mystical body of Christ, which is, of course, the one who does the work of the liturgy. And uh, the the Greek word leuturgeia, from which we derive the English word liturgy, liturgy. was originally meant as a public work. It was meant by, um, you know, the work of the people on behalf of the city or, you know, the guild or, you know, whatever, the gathering. So there has to be a participation, right? By everyone. Yep. It's a public work or service in the name of and on behalf of the people. Catechism 1069. So, if Leuturgeia is the work of the few on behalf of the many, then Christ's Leuturgeia is the work of one on behalf of the human race. Mm-hmm. This is what Pius Twelfth defined liturgy. The public liturgy, the sacred liturgy, is therefore public worship which our Redeemer as head of the church renders to the Father, as well as the worship which the community of the faithful renders to its founder and through him to Heavenly Father. It is, in short, the worship rendered by the mystical body of Christ in the entirety of its head and members. That's just beautiful, isn't it? It is beautiful. So Jesus is... If we could just, you know, get this into everybody's head and have it move from the head to the heart and soul, we would, we would be just united mm-hmm. together in Mass. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, we have been to Masses, and I can think of one in particular in Michigan, uh, the Pentecost Mass up there, where you truly felt the whole body of people present were so united mm-hmm. in that Mass that you didn't want it to end. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just so filled with holiness and the presence of the Lord and everybody just being on the same page. I mean, I wish every Mass mm-hmm. we attended would be like that. Three hours went by in a flash. Yes. And right. if, if I could relive that, I would do it in a heartbeat because it, it, it changes your life. Mm-hmm. It really does. Jesus, therefore, is the premier liturgist, and baptismal regeneration is a sacramental sign that he summons apprentices to his work. I love that, right? Mm-hmm. We members can join the liturgy of our head, and we could do that, and we say, oh, yeah, we're going to go to Mass and join the liturgy, but that's a mystery because we don't really understand it fully. So how do we overcome ourselves in order to understand this a little bit better? Pride and disobedience. We overcome pride and disobedience. We have to overcome the original sin, right? Right. Where Satan in the garden said, you will not die. God knows that when you eat, you'll be like him. Mm-hmm. He cannot create anything. He cannot destroy anything. But Satan can distort whatever he gets his hands on. 
Yep. And here, this is what he did because he is the great deceiver. This is a quotation, but there is this difference between us and Lucifer, that Lucifer aspired to attain to this likeness by his own power, whereas we hope to attain it solely by grace. By grace. So egocentric pride or self-centered pride caused havoc in the Garden of Eden, and the conflict begun there continues in each interior warfare. Why? Why do we always in, uh, emphasize spiritual battle? Because life is a spiritual battle, because there is this 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 contest between pride, disobedience, rebellion, wanting to do things your own way, autonomy, independence, um, self-centeredness, all that stuff, and the worship that we're called to as the body of Christ. And we're not going to have true koinonia, true fellowship, if everybody's out doing their own thing. Right. And everybody thinks that they're better than somebody else and that their ways are better, etc. So the revival of the Eucharist will depend upon humility. Humility. I think that's very important. So in the conclusion that the guy writes, he says, the secret has been found. Aslan appears bigger when our humility makes us smaller. For the Eucharist to appear bigger, we must die to ourselves. And that's what Paul says. That's what it says in the scripture, yes. Right? Yep. So um, after our sins are blotted out, their roots will remain in us. So let's... Let's work, brothers and sisters, diligently to eliminate ignorance, covetousness, concupiscence, self-love, attachment to our own judgments, self-will, evil inclinations, bad habits, sinful customs, the numerous attractions of sin, agitations, objects of the senses, inconstancy, negligence, and human respect or the fear of man. Getting free of all that might take more than three years. <laughs> The three years of the Eucharistic <laughs> revival. But the bishops meant to inaugurate this period of time kind of as a um, as a recommitment to try again, which is really the human condition. Thank you for joining us.